Hi there, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners. Welcome to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast series, where we feature leading practitioners and thinkers across connected industry and the broader technology landscape. Good day, everyone. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner at Momenta Partners with another episode of our Edge Podcasts. And today, uh, we have George Matthew, who is uh, CEO and Chairman of Kespri, which is a, a company that focuses on aerial intelligence. And we'll, we'll get into this in a, in, into a little bit more about you know what they do and, and the kind of value that they, they deliver. But, uh, but anyway, it's great to have you, George. Uh, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, Ed. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, well, actually, let's start, let's start off first by uh, hearing hearing a bit about Kespri. Can you, can you tell us, you know, what what does the company do, and and uh, you know, what are some of the technologies that you you guys are working with? Sure. So, Kespri, by background, is an aerial intelligence product that focuses on the collection of sensor-based input, predominantly coming from drones. We happen to manufacture our own drone here in North America. We take the sensor-based input that's coming off the drone and process that in our cloud infrastructure, where we convert the sensor-based input into physical reality capture. And that physical reality capture can then be analyzed using machine learning, artificial intelligence, and package that up as a series of analytical applications for industrial use cases, whether it be the inventory management solutions that we deliver in the mining space, topological assessment of a construction work site, going into asset management in the energy sector, and of course, being able to do claims and similar processing for the insurance roofing space. So we think of that end-to-end experience, Ed, as the way that we can create a lot more industrial capability around drone tech, as well as effectively understanding the physical condition of a lot of these key assets in the industrial world. That's great. I'm gonna. Uh, I'll come back to that, and I'd like to to drill into some of the some of the things that you do and the and the and the problems you guys are addressing. But uh, but but first, could you provide a bit of context around your background? I mean, what uh, what has brought you to uh, to be you know to be focused on you know connected industry? And are you know are there? Can you characterize what has shaped your particular view of of IoT as as we call it? Sure. So I've actually been in the software industry mostly as a focused executive in the analytics space for quite a few years. So in the 2010-2011 timeframe, I was at SAP and I ran the business objects BI division for SAP and really saw that proliferation of business intelligence getting more and more democratized, particularly in that period, where I had an opportunity to join Altrix very early on as the president of the company, really to look at the democratization of analytics in the hands of business users, um, specifically when it came to analytical data prep blending and modeling. And when I worked through that experience for five and a half years and helped take the company public, we saw a real opportunity emerge, particularly around the analytical applications and specifically the industrial-focused analytical applications that just really were under 
played in the market, mainly because the data needed to be collected from a lot of physical sensor-based input. And so with that mindset that there was data that needed to be collected from physical sensors that are on an industrial worksite, Caspery having an opportunity to build a full autonomous solution in this space and the opportunity to bring forward analytical applications for these industrial use cases, I thought it was just the perfect next opportunity as Altrex got to scale. And that's when I joined Caspery about two years ago as the CEO of the company. Yeah, could you talk about some of the uh, developments that you've seen in the in the analytics space during during your career? I mean, I think that's that's pretty fascinating because I. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of folks that we talk to that are in uh, in the industrial space, as, as it were, actually come from you know operational technology backgrounds. So I'd be intrigued at, at you know what you what you saw evolving that uh, and and what really attracted you to the you know, to really work with industrial data. Yeah. So when we look at the industrial data that's emerged, particularly in this last decade, there's a need to get better digitization of these physical assets that are in the industrial work world and to understand the condition of those assets, to predict the future value of those assets. If we look at the data that's now collected off of drones and other sensor-based input, this is actually the first primary source of collecting that insight in a way that we can actually derive these predictive values of how assets perform over time. And in that regard, I believe that taking the internal sensor-based input of, you know, things that are streaming from an IoT standpoint with the physical data capture of, you know, sensor-based capture of information, whether it be a fixed camera, whether it be a drone, whether it be IR sensors, LiDAR-based input, really you're developing this inside-outside view of the creation of what we think of today as a digital twin. And those digital twins are really able to be harnessed to understand the future state of those assets and the predictive maintenance value associated with those assets. This has been a fundamental lack of understanding that's occurred in the industrial work world because there hasn't been a simple way to be able to capture these insights, particularly when it comes to physical reality capture, and combining that with the economic value of these assets over time. And so Casper feels that there's a great opportunity to be able to deliver the analytics around the physical model, largely using the sensors that are on the drone, as well as fixed sensors that are on an industrial worksite being processed in a solution like the Caspery Cloud and being able to integrate with those internal data sources that are already on many of these industrial worksites. And really, that's been the focus of the company for the last three or four years. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you're you know, the, the the way you're characterizing how you need to you you know, create physical uh, physical and virtual models, I guess in the in the form of a digital twin. But you know, being able to create that model is really something new. It's not you're not pulling from ERP systems or existing. Uh, existing machinery, for instance, and I'd love to get your insights on, you know, what's involved in, in being able to effectively build a, a model or, or build a digital twin. I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of hacking away the jungle here <laughs> when you're building it. And I'd love to get your thoughts on, on, you know, what, what are some of the considerations and, and pitfalls and, and what helps you effectively generate a, a, an effective digital twin? 
So, Ed, I'll give you an example of what we accomplished in our first go-to-market use case in the mining space, which is very relevant, in, and you mentioned ERP in that regard, to how ERP data is understood specifically when it comes to inventory in the mining space. So it turns out that historically to collect the insights of what's occurred on a mine site, on a quarry, as far as the inventory of how much material you have, you would literally take a GPS backpack or precision laser-guided equipment, point it at a stockpile, and be able to create a volumetric model of that stockpile with 15, 20 points of measurement. And the points of measurement would create a volumetric model. That volumetric model would then be multiplied by the density. That would give you the mass of that material that would then be inputted into your inventory management system, largely surrounding an ERP environment. What's been a challenge in that space is that the collection of that data was pretty, pretty infrequent, and the source of that information was uh, pretty de minimis because you were collecting a few points of data to be able to create a volumetric model. And so you had 10, 15, 20 points of measurement around a volumetric stockpile of material where you got it from a, a GPS backpack or, or a laser pointer. With a solution like Caspery and other drone products that have emerged in this space over the last half a decade, we're now able to fly over an industrial site, a mining operation, for instance. We take the imagery that's coming off of a drone, and in our case, it's high-resolution quality imagery, that we convert from 2D to 3D because it's a series of angled images that we would use photogrammetry pipelines to create the three-dimensional model because the 2D can be converted to 3D using a point cloud. The point cloud then can be meshed up with the imagery that creates an accurate three-dimensional model of that stockpile. That underlying stockpile could then have about four to 500,000 points of measurement and that becomes the new volumetric calculation input for uh, then taking the density and calculating the mass out for that, that stockpile of material as well as that entire mine site. Now, why that is compelling is that when you were taking that with you know, a small number of points of measurement previously with the, with the status quo in that market, you were leading into inventory overages and variances and underages because the topological measurement that you were taking was around you know, 10, 15 points of measurement, and you could see forecast variances be as high as 15, 20% per stockpile. We're able to bring that down to one to 2% on a per stockpile basis so that you can get much stronger accuracy of how much material you have at any point in time. This has immediately changed the way that that industry works because instead of hiring a surveyor to come in once a quarter, once a year to get your accurate physical measurements in place, you're now flying a drone once a day, once a week to be able to understand that change in inventory measurement and bring that into your ERP system. So these kind of fundamental opportunities have emerged because you can now take a more frequent view and a more accurate view and, frankly, a safer one because you're not manually climbing a stockpile any longer and get a digital twin generated that is far more useful on a consistent operational basis day-to-day -day than you would have historically done in the mining space for the last 
two decades. And really, that's where Casper went from five customers to over 200 customers just in the mining aggregate space because we're able to deliver that level of accuracy, safety, as well as reliability for the collection of that inventory management data that gets naturally sent into the ERP environments on a weekly and monthly basis. That happens over and over again in construction, in roofing, in the energy sector for a multitude of use cases, and we tend to just focus on finding those real high-value use cases and deliver an end-to-end solution into the respective markets that we're in. Yeah, could you uh, could you talk about the uh, the challenges of of managing mu- the you know these these much larger amounts of data? I, I guess your you know, your your background at Alteryx makes you very familiar with with large uh, large volumes of data. But but how uh, how do you go about determining uh, the most relevant data? Given that you're given you're collecting you know quite a quite a bit and ensuring that you, you can essentially zero in on the really the most efficient or the or most efficiently what are the what are the deltas that have the most business value are are you um, do you work with you know domain experts that are you know that are able to interpret the data for you or you know do these is is this something that the customer has an instinctive uh, feel for so Ed, when we look at the industries that we've focused on to date we've taken a very customer-first approach to what the value is in that market for having an innovative product like ours really be able to take um, market by strong. And in that regard, we've worked with both customers as well as domain experts to validate that the solution is a viable alternative to the status quo. So I'll give you another example of this. When we went into the insurance roofing space, we were being compared against manually climbing the roof and taking a measurement of the roof via tape measurement and then drawing a chalk-based virtual well, physical test square of where there might be hail damage and physically counting the amount of hail that's within that test square. We ended up rendering a virtual model that dimensionalized the entire roof using the same exact techniques that I mentioned earlier, and then applied an artificial intelligence set of algorithms that identified and distinguished what hail looks like and enabled the adjuster or the claims adjudicator to enhance and tweak that model based on their knowledge and understanding of the domain itself. And so in this case, having that level of customer intimacy in the use case, really digging in to making sure that there was an end-to-end offering that was delivered for our customers and doing it in a way where the industry found it acceptable as a radical substitution of the status quo became the way that we were able to, frankly, expand ourselves into the insurance roofing sector. So you got to dig into the use case. It's not just about you know, the flying of the drone. Uh, The drone is a great way of collecting the sensor-based input, but, you know, when you're flying an industrial solution like ours, which happens to autonomously fly over 30 minutes of flight on a single battery and cover 200 acres, you're generating plenty of data. There's no lack of data being generated. I mean, each flight is, you know, operating around, you know, several gigabytes of information per flight. But then what you do with the analytical modeling, the 
applied artificial intelligence and the exposure of an application or an API, or in most cases both, that's where the value gets derived. And to date, we've been really focused on delivering that end-to-end experience so that the physical reality capture using sensor-based input from a drone is just the starting point. The real value is in the application that's generated from this data process and pipeline that we are supporting our customers scaling up. Yeah, could you talk about what the uh, the environment for using drones or I guess uh, no unmanned UAVs? Uh, you know, where's where some of the technologies have have come from? I mean, clearly there have been a lot of uses in the military, you know, very you know very sophisticated uses in the military. But you know, was is there is there technology that you've been able to adapt? Uh, from uh, from existing use cases and uh, and and also when you hear about you know, people that are doing do-it-yourself inspections, for instance, on you know on construction sites. I mean, how uh, you know how how has that environment uh, evolved as as uh, since you guys have come into the market? Yeah, I think I've I've highlighted this before. If we think about the market for industrial use cases. There's a natural tendency to initially just take a drone out of the box, consumer or prosumer-oriented solution, fly it manually, collect a few images, and call it a day. And there's plenty of value in just getting physical imagery of an existing asset and being able to understand just the high-resolution detail of that imagery and manually making assessments of the condition of the asset or an anomaly that you might find. What we're tending to see is the market is beginning to really create these real industrial applications, not just from manual inspection, but having a fully autonomous process that collects over, uh, you know, as much as 200 acres of a work site, processes that data so that you get a real digital twin of that asset that's down to you know three centimeters of accuracy, X, Y, and Z in real space because we've applied precision GPS on top of the imagery that creates the, from 2D to 3D model a level of accuracy that's needed. Layer in a whole series of machine learning algorithms to identify those anomalies and expose those as applications. I think that there will always be an opportunity to fly a drone to take the corporate selfie, as I like to call it, for imagery of wherever the sort of state of an asset is and understand the, 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 the high-resolution imagery of that asset. But I think the real value becomes taking that imagery, having it consistent and reliable to be able to create a three-dimensional model, layer in the machine learning necessary to understand the automation of where those anomalies might exist and then expose that as high-value applications. So we think the market is going to continue to evolve, probably bifurcate, where these high-value application use cases is where Caspery's focused, and there'll be plenty of opportunity you know, as well to take the, the corporate selfie from manually flown drones um, in this space as well. You made an interesting comment earlier that you guys manufacture your own drones rather than uh, rather than bring them in from China. What are the what are the reasons behind that or, or advantages of that of, of that? I think approach? historically we've had more sensor based control in this 
in the drone that we've manufactured, we can actually bring in a precision GPS capability to the product. We can go ahead and introduce new technology as it emerges like three-dimensional LiDAR into the solution. So it's about having flight control, autonomy, and the payload that we're introducing in a way that we have truly a full-stack enablement in place. In the last few years, we've also seen the market evolve where the prosumer market around drones has gotten better and better, and there are other fixed sensors that are coming in from you know, cameras that might be already located on an industrial work site that we need to process that sensor-based input. Our vision at Caspery is, okay, we're not just going to process Caspery drone data only. We should be able to naturally process data coming from third-party drones as well as fixed sensors that are on an industrial worksite so that we can really understand the condition and state of all the physical assets on an industrial site. And that's where we think that the expansion opportunity will continue to emerge, where Caspery drones, other drones that are plugging into the Caspery architecture, as well as other sensor-based input can all be processed inside of our Caspery cloud. And that we're already seeing with some of our biggest customers in the market today. Uh, Shell was an investor in Caspery in the Series C, as well as a customer now, where we're processing data that's coming off of refinery sites where there might not even be a drone flying at all. It's fixed sensor-based input that we're processing in our cloud for the exact purpose of digitizing this the stream of IoT information that's already present in these physical locations. I think the convergence of the data that's coming from drones as well as the data that's coming from fixed on-the-ground sensors will, again, enable a more complete view of these digital twins that are emerging in these industrial work environments, and that's where we see a great amount of value that we can generate in the market. Are there any special considerations that, uh, that come into play regarding the governance around the data? And if, particularly if you have you know, clients that are uh, that may be outside the U.S. I mean, I, it's it's hard it's hard to think of uh, you know image image data as proprietary, but in many respects it it kind of it kind of is, particularly if you're in um, you know in, in agriculture or, or materials. Um, what what are what are some of the the security considerations or or concerns that uh, that customers you know may may express uh, you know around this uh, around the the areas of data security and governance? So when we fly today, we ensure that we're only flying, as far as data collection goes, directly above the assets that a customer has given explicit permission for us to collect that information around. And that's, that's a precautionary measure on our part to ensure that the privacy of whether it be a residential home as well as an industrial worksite is maintained despite the fact that we might be collecting high-resolution imagery in a way that you can make all kinds of analytical decisions from it. So we do explicitly create a geofence around the area that we're flying, and that geofence, the drone will never fly beyond the geofence when it's collecting information. And then we ensure that when we're collecting information within the geofence, we have explicit permission of where we fly. And that has been the way that we've been able to be successful, not only in North America, but also expanding into Europe, because we abide by the privacy regulations that are already in place so that 
there's never a moment where there's a concern that privacy privileges were broken by a drone collecting a lot of high-resolution sensor-based input from not only an industrial asset, but also just, you know, we fly over residential roofs to understand the condition of those roofs, but there's property surrounding that roof that you could make a lot lot of inferences on the uh, the insights of what we're collecting from, from that data source. So we're super careful about this exact topic to make sure that those privacy regulations are met, particularly when we're flying over both residential as well as industrial assets. Yeah, I can. I, I know there are actually some satellite-based companies, including a company called Orbital Insights, that that traffic in data that can be tied back to uh, investment investors. So they'll they'll look at the you know the level of fuel tanks and and try to track ships uh, in the in the global you know in the global oil supply chain, or they'll they'll look at the number of cars that are parked in in shopping malls to get a sense of what the what the foot traffic is, uh, both for re- for retailers and and for uh, for real estate. So it's uh, it, it is pretty interesting that we're you know we're introducing this this. This completely new dimension of of, uh, of intelligence and, and data from from the world. Um, I was well, when you think about these sources of data, Ed, it's interesting to know that these are layers of resolution that are going to coexist with each other. You no know, surprise, there's satellite imagery that folks like Orbital Insight are generating on a very large scale, broad basis of where the condition of large scale assets look like. Then you get a little further down in the in the layer of where you're collecting this insight, where airplanes and helicopters have been historically flying over assets to get another layer of resolution and detail. Drones fit in at that next layer where you want to be able to detect, call it centimeter and millimeter level detail, which a satellite nor an airplane would be able to do naturally at a cost cost uh, basis that makes sense for most most uh, data collection needs. And then, frankly, on the ground, there's fixed sensors as well as smartphones that are able to collect all kinds of insights just from the sensors that are existing on today's smartphones. All of these compound and play nicely together because it's creating a level of detail that goes all the way from satellite to smartphone where we are able to generate this physical reality capture in a meaningful way to get insights delivered to an organization. And, you know, drone is just a big piece of that puzzle. It's not the only piece of the puzzle. Um, it is a part of the overall need of collecting these these insights in a more reliable way. And we're just glad to not only be able to provide an industrial strain solution for not only the capture of that insight using drones, but also taking the other sensor-based input and converging that in our cloud experience for our customer base. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, what you guys are effectively doing is you've you've introduced this this new type of data. You're uh, you're uh, in effect this this master sensor, this meta sensor that is is providing a look at a at a completely new dimension of existing uh, operations. So in that respect, it's it, it's quite distinct from 
uh, you know, wi- wiring up or censoring up, say, a, an existing plant or retrofitting a plant with sensors. Um, and it, you, the, the point I'm getting to is that the, the value prop is got to be pretty, it's pretty straightforward, right? Because it's, you know, this is an overlay, this is data you've never had before. But I'd, I'd be interested to go get a sense from, you know, from the experience of, of you and, and the team. Um, you've, you've gone after some uh, pretty, uh, you know, heavy, you know, heavy industry in mining and construction, uh, uh, you know, pulp and insurance. We'd love to get a, uh, your insights on, on what some of the uh, maybe initial challenges were in, uh, in evangelizing the, the data. What were, what were customers looking, you know, to, to be proven uh, before, they, before they bit? Was it, is it an easy, do you think it's an easy sell or there's a, um, you know, or, or there's some, you know, some certain, you know, types of, of proof points? You know that that early customers looked for from you, and I'd be interested. You know whether that differs across industries. This has not been an easy sell by any stretch of the imagination, and particularly when there is a fair amount of incumbency in the status quo of how mostly survey grade data was collected historically and right. how it was used. I think the moment that the light bulb really turned in many of our industrial customers' minds was when they realized that this was more consistent, more reliable, frankly cheaper, and generating a level of insight that's more frequent than you would typically do with a once a quarter, once a year survey. And that's where we built a pricing model that supports it. Our customers have the ability to fly the Caspery product and generate the data products that we're mentioning on an unlimited basis because it's a all-in subscription, a singular subscription fee, and you can fly and generate the amount of data that you need uh, on an unlimited basis for the unit of the drone effectively operating on the industrial worksite that we're, we're providing services for our customers on. And so that behavioral shift occurred when it was understood that this was something viable, it could be safely accomplished, that there was an ROI that was demonstrable, and you're doing it in a way that it changes the way that the nature of that work was historically accomplished, where you know, you're previously doing a spot check on this industrial asset that you might be trying to understand the asset value of or predicting what the future maintenance value is on an annualized basis. And suddenly now you're flying over a mine site and having near real-time input on the inventory changes that are occurring as much as on a daily level, on a stockpile by stockpile basis. And that, that changes the way that work gets accomplished. In the construction sector, when earthworks projects get accomplished and we're doing topological assessment, it's no longer what the plan was and then how we bid it as a construction firm and where the project ended at the end of the construction. Literally, you can see the progress and the change over time in a time series model that's being generated off of the physical condition of that construction site using the data that's generated off the drone flying more frequently on that site. So the type of work and the nature of how you can respond to it has been very much an eye-opener for some of our larger industrial customers. The flip side of it is it's all very early. It's all very much 
the way that the future of this work will be accomplished in the next decade or two. And we're, you know, as I like to say in U.S. baseball parlance, the earliest innings of the ball game, but so far so good in terms of how much progress we've made. This is really interesting. Uh, is there a, uh, you know, are, are, are there jobs, for instance, that are, you know, potentially replaced uh, by your technology? And is that a, is that a factor in some of the inertia that you, you faced early on? You know, would love to get your thoughts on, you know, the impact of, of technology and uh, really the expanding capabilities of, of solutions like like you guys offer where you're uh, you're essentially automating this this data collection uh, that may in the past have been you know somebody going out in the truck or doing a visual inspection I mean what what are, what are the implications of this technology we've thought about this quite a bit and the the, the natural question here which has always emerged is does this replace and automate away a job or does this create new opportunities? There's two angles where I believe it is actually creating new opportunities. The first is the productivity of the labor force goes up exponentially. And I'll give you a good example of this. When a hurricane hits in, you know, anywhere in, in, in the hurricane belt today, and particularly these last two hurricane seasons, it was pretty interesting to see the level and extent of the damage as most storms are now hitting the Gulf Coast, for instance, at category three, four, and five levels. These are catastrophic events that are occurring. When hail hits the hail belt in the Midwest, it's pretty catastrophic what hail is actually doing as far as damage goes. In both of these scenarios, what we've realized is that the catastrophic response from an adjudicator, adjuster, a cat response team, you can only cover so much without enabling technology like this. So a good example was last year, the CEO of Farmers, who is a customer of ours, said that without drone tech, they were able to cover three homes per day with this traditional tool of manually climbing the roof and getting the assessment of what the damage was for hail-related damage on a residential home. That same adjudicator that's doing industrial work in this case can now be scaled in terms of covering with a drone about three homes per hour versus three homes per day. And so now you're seeing an eight to 10x productivity improvement in terms of what an adjudicator can accomplish on a day-to-day worksite or a residential home that they would want to, or a residential area that they'd want to cover on a single day than was previously possible without drone tech, like the ones that they're using from Casper. And so we're seeing that productivity rise. We're also seeing the skill set change the labor participation rate in a way where the skills of someone who's now doing their job with a drone versus doing a job without a drone, the ones that are doing it with drones and other similar sensor-based technology that one that I've highlighted earlier, their labor participation as well as their wage rate is increasing because now the skill set is more needed in the market and people are able to use this as a leveling up in the workforce itself. So to date, we haven't seen the moment where this kind of automation is reducing the labor force or reducing the the, the wage rate. In fact, it's increasing the participation and increasing 
the value of that work to date and driving greater productivity. And so generally the use cases that we've been involved in are driving an upward mobility in the industrial workforce versus creating downward pressure in the market. Could you talk about where you uh, where you see the really the greatest value coming from use of uh, uh, drone based data collection in, in the future? I mean, it, it looks like you've got a, a you guys have established a, a solid beachhead in, in several industries, but would love to get a sense of how you know how some of the how some of your customers are are, are thinking, uh, or how you and, and your team are thinking about where you know where where can this go over time. Yeah, I think the biggest area that we see opportunity is in the industrial inspection scenarios that have now emerged, particularly as thermal-based input is now very much a real offering. So historically, if you look at commercial property as well as light industrial manufacturing assets, to know the condition of that asset, it would be optimal not only to get high-resolution imagery, but to overlay a thermographic view of where that asset stands. And so if you were, say, for instance, in Illinois today and you wanted to do a commercial transaction on commercial property, you would want to get, uh, and it's state law, I believe, that you have a thermographic view of that asset, specifically the roof itself. If you're collecting that on a manual basis, that's pretty laborious work. Uh, to you know, detect if there's a membrane leak on the roof, detect if there's water pooling, to detect if there on an industrial refinery there might be structural corrosion versus cosmetic corrosion. In all of those use cases, you can now have a thermographic view being generated by having a therm- thermographic sensor complement the EO sensor that you might be flying on a high-resolution imagery basis and mash those two together to create a digital twin that also layers in thermographic insights. So when we've actually done that, it's opened up all kinds of interesting use cases for industrial inspections as well as going into a fair degree of solar use cases, uh, asset condition use cases, refinery use cases where thermography gets layered into the physical inspection scenario. So we're doing that work right now in both industrial work sites as well as commercial property because we know that there's enormous opportunity in those areas which dwarf, frankly, you know, the work that we've historically done even in the mining space or the residential roofing arena. So that's kind of where we're focused next as we get into these higher value industrial use cases that are more and more prevalent and accepted with not only drone tech, which is a big part of it, but also just even taking existing fixed sensors and processing that data in the Casper cloud. Yeah, that, so that's really interesting. So, so ultimately, you are looking at uh, not just you know, visual, but you've got thermographic and potentially other types of sensors, and and uh, all of this data, of course, uh, can be you know correlated with the ERP systems or existing you know analytic systems in the, uh, the you know, that the enterprise may have. Or, or um, you know, who, who do you see as as you know potential uh, state Stakeholders in 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 developing new new solutions. I I, I know that you're working with uh, a number of insurance companies, and I think that's um, 
That's super interesting. Is there, you know, is is there is there a way that uh, that the use of this technology and and the you know and the increasing data uh, extends more deeply, for instance, into the into the into the financial sector? Yeah, right now a lot of our focus is in these industrial sectors where the leaders that have responsibility for the line of business function for kind of getting operational efficiency on an industrial set of assets that they might have, coupled with regardless of what the title is, there's someone that has responsibility for digital transformation inside the organization. And that might be not necessarily in the same role as the line of business leader, but the convergence of those two folks inside the organization tend to be our buying center, right? We tend to focus on the line of business leader as well as the head of, of digital transformation for the uh, the customers that we serve. And we can create a lot of market opportunity by just delivering these high value capabilities to those leaders in the organization. And they're very much seeing that value quickly being generated. Like we see customers expand from initial one or two unit opportunities to multiple units, multi-year deals in the first year of commercial operation with Casper. Now, what's becoming interesting is that the data that we're generating is pretty much now helping us understand the current state of that industry in a meaningful way. And the first time we're able to now do this is in the mining aggregate space, and specifically aggregates. We're now measuring 25% of all of the production volume of aggregates material in North America. And having that level of insight starts to create all kinds of opportunity downstream. We have not considered opportunities of how that gets you know, packaged as a product and financial services, mainly because our primary focus is on serving our customers directly and being able to generate the value that I described in the earlier portion of this discussion by the industry use cases that we're targeting. But these data products have derivative capability to them where you can understand the physical change on a broad scale basis that we couldn't do before at a level of detail we certainly hadn't had available to us um, that will start to redefine what the data products are that are relevant for these industries. It's a future that's further out for Casper. Right now we're just targeting serving our customers with what their needs are directly versus what these derivative data products could look like over time. Are customers in similar industries, I mean, I, I assume they benefit from your experience working with, with multiple, uh, you know, multiple participants in the industries, but are, are they uh, engaged or interested in kind of sharing best practices or, or uh, insights uh, really across uh, across the industry? I mean, the, I guess the question here is, you know, are, are, are you seeing the type of, of you know, data sharing or cooperation that you've seen, say, in the insurance industry or, or financial services around credit scores with uh, some of the data that you guys are, uh, are collecting? I think that'll happen. And as I mentioned earlier, it's still early innings in the ballgame to date. And so that's not quite where the markets that we serve are today. But we're increasingly being asked to create more index benchmarks of the data that we're collecting so that people can see, even on an, on an anonymized basis, how industry peers are operating in the sector that we serve. 
that's still a few years out as well because, again, you've got to have enough data generated. It's much more possible today to create a data product like that in the mining aggregate space where we have some level of accumbency at this moment. But I think the other industries will soon start to follow, uh, particularly for these benchmark insights that can be potentially generated. It's, again, not the area that we're primarily serving the market in today, mainly because we've got a lot of direct work to do with our customer base, and that's where Casper's been oh, Absolutely. So we got a question about uh, you know, interesting technologies or startups that you may be looking at. Are there any that, uh, that jump out at you? Sure. Yeah, so there's, there's definitely companies that have been doing incredible work in the industrial sector that, you know, we have been working with, potentially even partnering with, and see a lot of similarities in terms of what the market opportunity looks like. A good example is uptake. You know, there's a lot that they've done in terms of data science, particularly when it comes to creating the economic model that drives a lot of the key organizations that they serve today. If you think about what C3IoT and uptake are doing, a lot of the physical reality capture and the analytics that surround the physical asset themselves, Casper can naturally provide that to complement what a solution like uptake looks like today. That's a very natural extension of what Casper is doing, where we would not go into the detail of the economic model and the data science workloads that they've actually been delivering into the market uh, in a lot of ways. So that's, that's, that's a complementary example that we see. You mentioned satellites. Uh, in the case of CAPE analytics in the insurance space, CAPE is doing large-scale, broad-based analysis of before and after of satellite imagery on what the physical condition of a entire region could be based on what happened before and after the hurricane hit. They would never have the optical detail to dive into any specific asset itself, but you'd have broad scale coverage used mostly for underwriting and risk purposes that could be complemented with the data that Casper is generating for claims management. And so we see plenty of opportunities continue to emerge, particularly as various layers of these digital twins are emerging in the industry where we don't necessarily have to be the end-all provider of all of these capabilities. We have to plug in to where the industry needs other data sources and, frankly, other application experiences that complement Caspery. And those two are just good examples of things that we've already seen in the markets that we serve today. Oh, that's no, that's uh, really, really uh, uh, helpful and helpful insight. We had Ganesh Bell from Uptake on the on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he's uh, they're doing some they're doing some great stuff over there. Uh, well, this is well, George. This has been super interesting and and informative. Um, I always like to to close out our, our podcast with a question about a, a recommendation on a good book or or resource that you can uh, you can share with our listeners. Well, I'm, I'm still in the early stages of startup mode at Caspery. So if you think about where things stand as where Caspery is and how we're building a solution in the market, it's still the, the business of creating a market and deriving the opportunity for how that market can scale successfully. So, of course, one of my favorite books in the topic is 
The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. It's, uh, I would say, essential reading for what it takes to build a business when there isn't necessarily a pre-existing market that uh, is immediately available to you. And so uh, I, I've been very much inspired by the journey that, that Ben and Mark took long before they became venture capitalists. And that was one of my favorite books in terms of what the personal ups and downs are in terms of building a business when particularly there's no pre-existing guidebook or market analysis that gives you uh, enough confidence to say that this is something that's significant and that can be real. Uh, we're in a very similar place right now in a lot of ways because we know that the market is possible. We have to execute and create it. Uh, and in fact, I look at this as you know having to lay down some of the tracks as we're you know going over those tracks and creating new territory for ourselves. But it's been quite an experience for me in the last two years to be able to accomplish as much as we have in those two years, but I always go back to uh, Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, when the going gets both easy and tough uh, along the journey. Now that's that's a that's a great recommendation, and uh, uh, with with that, uh, we're 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 we concluding our our conversation. George, it's been a, a a pleasure speaking with you. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner at Momenta, once again with uh, another of our Edge podcasts and our guest. This afternoon has been uh, George Matthew, who's the uh, chairman and CEO of Kespri Technologies. And, and thank you again for joining us. Thank you. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast. We rely on feedback, comments, and input from our listeners. So please interact with us by going to our LinkedIn page, our Twitter accounts, or email us at edge at momenta.partners with any suggestions, guest ideas, or commentary. We really value your input and appreciate your listening. Thanks a lot. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners.